especially young people, I believe they have their own mind and they have their own goals and the company should never stay in the way of these goals. So the best thing is if the people are committed to the purpose of the company. I think the one big advantage we are having to so many other companies out there is that this is a product, it is a vision, people can connect and they can connect emotionally. And if you have emotions, it's so much easier to tell a story, it's so much easier to, to follow a vision. We, we don't offer a job. We offer to be part of a journey. We are offering to be part of a global movement to join the co-living revolution. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My co-host Lena Carlson can't be with us today, but we have a fantastic guest, Florian Ferber. Now, he is building the future of urban living with The Bays, which aims to have the same effect that Mindspace, WeWork and others had on The Office. The Bays' first space will open in Berlin next year to become home to over 400 up-and-coming people from the world, and there are already plans for other cities. Now, previously, Florian founded ZipJab together with Rocket Internet, and he led the company to become a market leader in on-demand laundry and dry-cleaning services. And I was a customer, by the way. He successfully exited the company, which merged with Johnny Fresh, which I'm still using today. This is a shame, no shameless plug, but just to say he has built companies that are really relevant that people do use. Hi, Florian. Hi, Oliver. Before we talk about dry cleaning, I obviously want to talk to you about the base. Now, you've turned your attention from dry cleaning to real estate, and this is a completely new space. And, and, and like this phrase you've used uh, when we had lunch one day, uh, and you said this is real estate with a purpose. What's the purpose? It's quite easy. So the, the purpose or the vision of the base is to combat urban loneliness. And uh, how we're doing this? We're doing this by building unique co-living spaces all around the globe, starting with Europe and here Germany, which are fostering togetherness. It has its roots at my time at Zipjet, because here in peak times we had more than 100 employees and we hired all of these employees from all over the world. And the problems were always the same. We had never problems recruiting them because, as you mentioned, we were very well uh, backed by Rocket Internet and other uh, VCs like Henkel and Bosch Siemens Hausgeräte. But the problem started once these young people came to cities like London, Berlin and Paris, as you have a problem here on the housing market. This is the reason and the purpose behind the base. Yeah, super interesting. And how do you want to combat urban loneliness by providing flats, essentially? I think the, the problems we were facing at, at Zipchip Times is that first of all, young people, when they come to a city, they are searching and are in need for affordable housing. Secondly, imagine you are a programmer, a developer coming from Kazakhstan. You won't send a container full of furniture behind you. So you will need furnished and serviced uh, accommodation. And thirdly, if young people are coming to new cities, they feel lonely. Yeah, they don't have friends there, they don't have already relations in these cities. And this is the reason why they are in need of uh, searching for access to a social community. And exactly this is what we are doing. We are offering with the base big micro-living complexes, but it goes beyond because we are also offering a big bunch of communal spaces like community kitchens, gym, co-working, rooftops, lounges, libraries, and all of this stuff where people can connect. And we're not stopping there. We are even having community management on the ground, which is then organizing and hosting events in order that people can connect and have a good time. 
Well, that, that kind of reminds me of Mindspace, WeWork. Uh, is that where the inspiration came from? Yes and no. I mean, what you definitely could say is that uh, Office was already a bit earlier, I would say, innovated. And you could say like that co-living is the adaption of the co-working model now to the housing industry. And uh, this is how we also look. There's one basic hypothesis where we're saying young people are very much willing to minimize in individual living space if they get in exchange for that spaces which they could not afford alone. So like you have a little mind space or we work where you're minimizing the office desk, but then you have access to a community kitchen or you have access to services or you have access to cleaning, all of those things which you would not afford alone when you when you rent out an office. And this idea um, that we are offering now spaces which you could not afford alone, plus we are offering events which you would not find in a city if you're new, plus we are offering you people which you would also connect or find when you're coming new to a city. This is the, the, the whole setup or the whole product we are bringing to people. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Uh, the question is, how do you communicate that to investors? Uh, and also, how do you reach people? Let's say you mentioned a program in Kazakhstan, you know, who, who thinks about coming to Berlin. How, how will you reach these people? Let's start with the investors, potentially, because I could imagine this is not the quick and dirty VC play. It's not a software uh, that could, you know, scale rapidly in the next next year or so. But, you know, it's, it's much more complex than that. Let us look, Oliver, at the three stakeholder groups we're having. And uh, on the one side is investors, and I will tackle this one uh, shortly. But then you have the supply side and the demand side. So, and it's clear what you're saying, you need to communicate differently. Uh, on the demand side, where well, I'm not so worried about, and I will tell you why, um, in all metropolitan areas, uh, we see a shortage in housing. So demand is there. We see still that uh, these cities are growing. There's a forecast by the UN that by 2050, between 70 to 80 percent of world population will live in urban areas. So I'm not so worried about uh, the demand. And uh, it's our job that we are not so much relying on paid marketing, but rather are telling a good story, having good experience of the people in the base, and that the positive word of mouth is then spreading the word, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to the supply side, this is totally different. Why? You're dealing here with stakeholders like project developers, family offices, landlords, and here you need to have a much more serious communication. You need to be able to showcase a product, showcase historical numbers. And now it's way easier for us than when I started the base in 2019, where I literally had nothing. Um, so to every founder story, I would say there is hard work, sweat, tears, and a bit of luck. And my luck was uh, certainly to, to secure this, the first spot, so base Berlin 1 with more than 380 apartments. And from that moment on, everything became easier because now every other project developer you can guide around, you can show base Berlin 1, and you have a proof of, of concept. Now coming to the investor side, and um, you are you're fully right, Oliver. This is not a classical VC play. It's uh, bricks and mortar. It has a big addressable market. Uh, who would deny this? But uh, I think you cannot build like a story like gorillas out of this now. And uh, you need to understand that the development cycle of a building is way longer than just producing a mobile app or doing e-commerce. On the other side, though, once there is a building, 
then this is for for its last uh, is there for the long term, right? Um, I mean, we are typically entering long term lease contracts for more than 20 years, and as long as you're believing in the demand side and as long as you're believing in the, the base brand. There you have a revenue stream which is there uh, to to last, and uh, on the other side, still when you are good in fundraising, when you are good in telling a story, then you will attract investors. And so was it also at the case of the base, where we started out with some angels out of my personal network, but then over the time there was an appetite from real estate developers, or now with our Series A, which we closed recently this year. Depot, which is a accessory or furniture provider, right? So, so let's let's take these stakeholder groups in turn. Um, I love what you said about the storytelling and the word of mouth. How specifically are you approaching this topic? Because it's hard to tell a story and it's hard to get word of mouth before it actually opens. Yet, on the day it opens next year, you want it to be fully booked, I presume. This is correct, but um, nowadays it's everything about visuals. And with visuals, you can tell a story. And I mean, even if you're just planning a building and it's not open yet, I have renderings. And these renderings nowadays, you can make them really real. Yeah, so they, 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 you get a feeling how it could be. And beside that, it's not just about a picture or a room. It's also about the story you tell what can happen at the base within a day. So we can give you a timeline of your day at eight o'clock, you wake up and you will have a coffee down in the grab-and-go area. At 9 o'clock, you don't go to the office anymore because we have co-working at the base. At 12 o'clock lunchtime, you will pick something from the food trucks in the courtyard, which we are constantly replacing in order to have always the taste or filling the taste of, of, of the people living there. In the afternoon, when you call it a day, you go to the gym. And in the evening, you will have a sundown on the rooftop. And therefore, I even don't... Okay, I want to move in. Yeah, you want to move <laughs> in, Oliver, and you will get the first spot, yeah? No, but you see what I mean? It's um, the story, what you can experience, and how the life at the base will be. This I already can tell you here without a visual. Yeah. But on yeah. the website and in the social media, I even can then support this with visual speed, with renderings or, yeah. or other images. That, that, that's fantastic. And we all know how powerful also neurologically uh, storytelling is, yeah, right? We, we, we need the stories to make sense of information as human beings. What kind of channels will you use to get that story across? Because people will not necessarily just check out your website. This is correct. And uh, at the beginning now, over the last two years, it was all about expansion. Um, we have the big goal that until 2025, we are expanding to roughly 5,000 units. So if you would make the mass, this would mean that you, we will open 15 to 20 locations across wow. Europe. And uh, therefore, there was a pressure on the supply side. So where do you reach those stakeholders, I said, like project developers, family officers, landlords, you will mainly reach them on LinkedIn, not so much on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and you will reach them with automated email campaigns. Mm. Yeah? But in the end, also automated email campaigns or LinkedIn is just about creating awareness. In the end, the real estate industry is still very much old-fashioned. And you should not forget, if we have a site like we have Base Berlin 1 with 16,000 square meters, you very fastly will enter deal volumes between 50 to 100 million euros. So in this moment, the deal is not made via social media. Yeah. There needs to happen like what we are doing currently, a face-to-face interaction. There is a long time of negotiations and dealing. And so these channels uh, I describe is just about creating awareness. 
When we flipped into the other side, the demand side, I think here we are much more relying on social media to tell the brand story. So the customers we are targeting here, they will be on Facebook, they will be on Instagram, they will be on TikTok. Um, this is the channels we are uh, working here with. As said, you have these platforms where you find housing these we need to operate with. But my fundamental goal is that we are not relying and that we are not uh, need to work uh, constantly with social media, that we find a way that the positive word of mouth of the base is so strong that the building gets occupied by its own. Yeah, I can see that. And I can also see a case for classical PR here because before it opens, you can go out with this story to the monocles of this world and, you know, TechCrunch or whatever and say, okay, this is this is specifically aimed at your readership and uh, we were revolutionizing or we are, we are you know, we, we help the real estate market in big cities evolve. So you said several thousand units in the planning. Uh, is that in Germany, in Europe, globally? I said these, these uh, 5,000 until 2025. Um, we plan to have them in Europe. Yeah. And our house market, our home market is, is Germany. So we are here targeting always metropolitan areas, typically with more than one million people living there. So you would end up in, in Germany with the top five cities, maybe the top ten. Yeah, I'm always saying to my team, look, the housing problem is not just there in metropolitan areas. Yeah. You could have them also in a city with 500,000 people. And then every metropolitan city in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, my time at Rocket told me back in the days we had to conquer the planet within one year. And now I think it's different. We want to build a very big company and we believe there is potential. But step by step, and so we're going Germany, Europe, and then we, we look when transatlantic or even further to the right side comes. Makes sense. Um, obviously, Corona wasn't easy for any real estate project. I, I suppose there were some setbacks there and, and some adapted timelines. How did you communicate that to your teams? So for many CEOs, it wasn't easy to keep teams motivated during Corona, especially if there were delays and things are not moving as they should. How did you, how you first of all, is that true? Is that assumption true? And how did you deal with it? If, if so? so I was very lucky that uh, part of the team uh, at the base, I already worked at Zipchat Times. So there's a, a long relationship and we know how to work with each other. And uh, we did this first with a lot of coaching. So also coaching with respect to resilience and patience. And this helped the team a lot to walk through these valleys in which you are feeling when things take longer than planned. This was one. And secondly, I had a very transparent communication. So I never left uh, the team in, in secret or in, in dark what is happening. We went to the construction in Berlin. We looked at it. People could see how it's developing. And we also clearly were um, telling the truth about the problems and the, the challenges we are facing. And so overall, the team was quite stable. I would not say it's a 100% stability. Uh, from time to time you have this, but it's okay. Especially young people, I believe um, they have their own mind and they have their own goals and the company should never stay in the way of these goals so the best thing is if the people are committed to the purpose of the company and coming back to our uh, when we started this talk the good thing about the base is that we have a really really strong vision mm -hmm. to combat urban loneliness and in my opinion this helped a lot of my colleagues to go through 
to start That's branding. interesting. And, and do you feel that this also has a positive impact on your employer brand and hiring the right people? Absolutely. And we are, we are very much looking when we are recruiting at, that we are looking for people who want to be a good host who want to combat urban loneliness and, for example, already bring ideas how to do that. And I think the one big advantage we are having to so many other companies out there is that this is a product, it is a vision people can connect and they can connect emo emotionally. And if you have emotions, it's so much easier to tell a story, it's so much easier to, to follow a vision. And uh, there we are happy um, that, that, we, that we are following this big vision, which by the way, and I have to also admit this as a CEO, was also a big support for me to continue to wake up every morning, to have uh, the, the, the shoulders upright, to, to, uh, to lead the team and to navigate through it. And in the end, uh, ultimately, it worked out. And uh, we were very happy that uh, this year in June we were securing our Series A financing round and that we were securing our second spot, Munich. So you need to understand, this was also crazy times for, for building up the supply. Mm -hmm. There was so much uh, insecurity in the market. Uh, hotels shut down. So and this is, is a hospitality-likely product we are building, right? Yeah. So, so many uh, stakeholders said, um, is this really true? Can, you, can we do this? And then we secured Munich. So another 160 apartments in Munich, a city where so many players tried to get a footprint over decades. And we as a young company achieved this two and a half years after foundation. So now we are doing this in Berlin, we are doing this in Munich. None of our competitors did this. And I think these were then also moments where it brings the mood of the team back up again mm. because they see these little successes. Absolutely, you have to celebrate the wins, right? And I was, I'm very curious what you said about employer branding and that you, you specifically make use of the purpose and, and people come with ideas. How specifically do you include this when, when you reach out to candidates or when you put out job ads? So do you specifically talk about the purpose? Is there, is there any piece of advice you can give to other CEOs? So actually, I mean, we, we very uh, prominently have put our vision and also the, the company values uh, on our website and on LinkedIn. And one of the first questions when we start recruiting and uh, entering the first interviews, we are asking the candidates, do you know what is our vision? Mm -hmm. If they don't know the vision, the interview is very fastly over. <laughs> yeah, I can Because, because yeah, why, would, by, why would you apply for a company no, exactly. where you don't yeah. know the vision? Yeah, exactly. And it means you haven't even looked at the website properly. I mean, yeah. we, we don't <laughs> offer a job. Yeah. We offer to be part of a journey. We are offering to be part of global movement to join the co-living revolution. So either you're in or you're out, but there's nothing between. That, that, is, that is interesting, that's curious. Um, but I do believe that company cultures and employer brands should be magnetic in the sense that they attract the right people but also deter the wrong people. So it's a selection process from both sides, right? Exactly, and I mean, we, we are... We're not forcing anybody to work for the base. <laughs> really not. No, of really not. But uh, uh, I think the the best moments of a company is these times when all are committed to one goal. This is when it really makes fun. This is also why I like so much the first years of company when teams are not so big yet, because typically this is the founder in this case me is hiring the the first ring around him. And then these guys are hiring the second ring. So as long as teams are small, 
it's very close to the vision the founder once brought up and the values the founder once brought up. Um, the bigger the company gets, the more blurry it gets. Yeah. As long as if you don't do your job right. Right, right. And that's where vision-led recruitment is actually really central. If if you build a company with a purpose, yeah, uh, I totally agree. I wanted to ask you about Zipjet and the exit, because it was a successful exit for you. Uh, the company's still around in different shapes and forms. Um, but there's always a bit of a, a contradiction in an exit, right? It's good for the founder or founders usually. Um, the employees often see it with different eyes. So could you speak to the communication around your exit or the exit and then the end of the Zipjet brand? How did you experience that? How was it for, for the teams? So honestly spoken, so my back in the days, my co-founder Lorenzo and, and myself, we always very much took care of uh, of our employees. You also need to understand we were one of the few rocket companies uh, who were there for five years. Uh, until there was an exit, there were other companies which have been shut down after one year, right? And uh, we always very much looked at uh, our employees, and in this case also the drivers, are in safe hands. So uh, back in the days when we, for example, negotiated the deal with Johnny Fresh here in Germany, we very much looked if the drivers would also then become employees of Johnny Fresh so that nobody would have been let down. Mm-hmm. And this was one. And secondly, um, also back in the days, we very clearly communicated to the organization that we are in this process. So we took them on the journey. And uh, for nobody, it was a big surprise or nobody was hitting a wall because they have been left in the dark. Again, like I said before, I think transparent communication, authentic communication is key in order to lead teams and also to be recognized in a good way. And uh, this is what Lorenzo and I back in the days did and uh, why we are happy how it, how it went out. Yeah. Okay, super interesting. Before I wrap up, I wanted to ask you about your personal communications because I'm, I'm very happy we know each other. You're here. First in-person interview since the beginning of Corona. We're obviously fully tested and vaccinated and all these things. Of course we are. But I just wanted to mention that I'm very happy you're here in person. I'm also very happy that you give this interview because you don't give a lot of interviews. You're very focused on the business. Now, as you continue to lead the, the co-living revolution, as you put it, um, how do you see your personal role and your personal communication evolve over time? So first of all, I believe communication still needs to develop. So thanks for having me, Oliver, again. And uh, I'm very much a fan of continuously learning. And I think this is needed, especially as I'm realizing. I'm not always saying I'm happy about it, but I'm realizing that the self-marketeering of uh, CEOs and also how they speak in the public and how they present themselves in social media is becoming more and more important. It doesn't matter if I like it, if I'm a fan of it, but it is important. Uh, We see this with big companies like Elon Musk, um, wondering where the share value from Tesla comes from. Is it Elon or is it really the cars? Um, But nevertheless, so um, I think going forward, a good CEO needs to be able to jump between the business and the communication world in a very fast way. This is something I believe I realized now, and I'm I'm very willing to understand how to deal with this perfectly in the future. Can you elaborate on that? That, That's that's a very interesting insight. So 
What exactly do you mean by that? How would you execute that? Yeah, to, to, to be honest, uh, I'm realizing this on a daily basis. Look, we are still, I wouldn't say a small team, but as said before, uh, still a startup team. Uh, and I'm also not such a big fan of having very big teams. But this means the founder still has power in the product, power in the operations. I also believe a founder should be there, the product should be there, uh, listen to the clients in order then to make real changes in the organization. So you need to be there at a certain uh, percentage of your time. On the other side, it's very important that the founder or the CEO is also marketeering the company. This is where stakeholders are following. So, and this means you nowadays have much more channels than you had maybe 20 years ago. There's social media, but there's not just social media like facing the customer, it's also social media facing the supplier or the investor side. There is then platforms, there is like panels, there's conferences, and you need to be there in order to be heard. So, and this is exactly what I, I mean. You need to uh, you need to be able to jump from left to right. And what we are realizing, what I'm realizing is, this is nothing you have by nature. And also you don't have the capability and the time. So there needs to be experts like, for example, you or Oliver doing this or other agencies who can support that in order that you are then also have time to work on the product you need to have support. Because my fundamental belief is if you're just doing communications, you're missing out the most important thing, which is to build a good product. Exactly. Do good things and talk about it. Florian, final question. What would be the final piece of communications advice you would want to leave other founders and communications professionals with? I don't know if it's a professional thing, but it's one of my personal values and it's be authentic. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I fully concur, and that's what I tell CEOs all the time. Uh, be authentic when you build your personal brand, when you go out and communicate. Don't try to be someone you're not, because that's not going to work for you or anyone else. Uh, and you're just going to attract the wrong people and the wrong opportunities into your life. So if you, if you are authentic, be yourself, and it is congruent what you say, what you believe, and what you do, then the right the right people and the right opportunities come to your life. Florian, thank you. Um, we recorded this in our, our studio, where we record videos and podcasts, and uh, I'm glad that finally there's a real-life podcast guest, and hopefully, despite the situation, we can do this more often in the future. Thank you. Oliver, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. See you next week.